Mark 16, starting reading at verse 1. This is God's word. Now, when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices that they may come and anoint him. Very early in the morning, on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen. And they said among themselves, Who will roll away the stone from the door of the tomb for us? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away, for it was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a long white robe, sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. But he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him? But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him as he said to you. So they went out quickly and fled from the tomb, for they trembled and were amazed. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Amen. We end our reading there at the end of verse 8. And thank God for it. Let's just uh, come before God in prayer to ask for his help to understand his word. Our gracious God, we know that without the illumination of your Holy Spirit, we would not understand anything of your grace and mercy. And so we ask you today to open our eyes, to give us understanding as we study this passage together, might we see Jesus as the high and exalted one, as our Lord and Saviour. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. Folks, in, in my job, I have what I consider the privilege of being with people through the best of times and through the worst of times. I'm really thankful that through the highs and lows of life, people turn to God through the church to know God's blessing, to know his peace, to know his comfort. And so often we celebrate the birth of a new life through baptism into the church of Jesus Christ. We come to church also to be married so that husband and wife can be united to one another in the presence of God and witnesses. It's a, it's a real joy that we're going to be having a wedding here, uh, God willing, in Kings Mills this week. The married couple come to have God's blessing proclaimed over their marriage so that what God has joined, man should not separate. There are many joys in life and as a minister of the gospel, I'm so delighted to be able to be involved in those. But there are hard times too, aren't there? Times when people come to church for a funeral service, for a Christian burial. Times of grief and pain at the loss of a loved one. I am equally privileged to be involved in those times. We are not 
a hatch, match and a spatch kind of church. And so I'm really pleased that you're here today to hear this message from God's word in an ordinary Sunday service. Because as we come down from the amazing celebration of of Children's Day last week and the Holiday Bible Club, which has taken place in the week in between, I think our passage today teaches us about something much more somber. It teaches us about death. And it shows us how Christians can face death. How we can face death with certain hope, with comfort and peace. And even how we can face death with joy. Our passage today speaks to us of the death and resurrection of Christ. It helps us to understand how through trusting in Jesus, that even though we are all headed for death, we don't head for it in despair. I don't want to be a downer today, but it is my duty as your minister to inform you that death lies at the end of life for all of us, even the boys and girls. There is nobody in this room who will not die one day. And so the question for each one of us, it should not simply be how can we put it off for as long as possible. That's what we think about, isn't it? We, we think about healthy eating and, and exercise hand sanitizing, mask wearing, avoiding dangerous situations. We take all sorts of measures to to put off death as long as possible. We can't put it off forever. And so the question for us today is, when your time does come, are you ready? Are you able to face death with the sure and certain hope of the resurrection? If, if I have to preach at your funeral service someday, which again, that's very possible for people in this room. Will I be able to offer hope and comfort to your family that you've gone on to eternal glory with Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour? As I said, this is the last in our series in Mark's Gospel. I know that in your Bible, there are probably verses after verse 8, verses 9 to 20. Verses 9 to 20 of Mark 16, they likely reflect some true events following the resurrection of Jesus. But you'll notice if you look at the footnotes and if you're the kind of person who reads footnotes in the Bible, Verses 9 to 20 don't appear in the earlier manuscripts of Mark. So we're not going to be covering those in this series. And if you want to talk more about that, I'll be very happy to speak to you after the service. Today we're focusing on verses 1 to 8. It's one of those things that you don't really notice it until you start to see it. And then once you start to see it, you see it everywhere. Again, in our passage today, Mark keeps telling us the time. He's been doing that the the whole way through the the passion of Jesus through his crucifixion. And again, 
In chapter 16, he tells us the time. Verse 1 tells us that the ladies went to the tomb when the Sabbath was past. Verse 2 goes on to say, very early in the morning, on the first day of the week. And so I have two points for us today in one sentence. And they are are these. Jesus was dead on Saturday. On Sunday, he was alive. Jesus was dead on Saturday. On Sunday, he was alive. I want to think about beginning uh, with Saturday. Saturday was the Jewish Sabbath. I wonder if you've ever thought about where Jesus was on the Saturday We're told in the Gospels, aren't we, that Jesus was buried on the Friday and he rose on the Sunday. So what about the day in between? What about Saturday? Where was Jesus? Well, the the church has been clear on this through the centuries. The Westminster Confession of Faith, for example, says that when Jesus died, he was buried and remained under the power of death yet saw no corruption. But don't we know from Luke's gospel that Jesus told the criminal who hung beside him on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise. Today. So how is it that Jesus was dead and buried, but still in paradise? Well, it's actually the same for Jesus as it is for us. Jesus is a human being. And so the death he experienced was the death of a human being. Again, the Westminster Confession of Faith is helpful on this. Listen to what the Confession of Faith says. It says, The bodies of men after death return to dust and see corruption, but their souls which neither die nor sleep, having an immortal subsistence, immediately return to God who gave them. The souls of the righteous, being then made perfect in holiness, are received into the highest heavens where they behold the face of God in light and glory. So we should understand that upon his death, Jesus was as truly dead as a human could be and his body and soul were torn apart. They were torn apart from each other just as ours will be torn apart upon our death. Think of the words that Jesus spoke on the cross and also from Luke's gospel. To the father he said, into your hands I commit my spirit body and soul separated. So his his body was taken down from the cross and placed in the grave, but his spirit or his soul, his human soul, went immediately into the highest heavens. Now, something that's different about Jesus is that his body wasn't tainted or touched by sin, so his body did not corrupt or begin to rot as our bodies will. But nonetheless, his body and his soul were separated one from the other 
upon his death as a human being. One in heaven and one in the grave. But because Jesus' human nature, which died, is united to his divine nature, the body and soul, although separated, one in heaven and one in the grave, are still united to each other through Jesus' divine nature. I heard this illustration this week, which I thought was really helpful. It's like a warrior riding his horse toward the enemy with his sword in its scabbard. And the moment of death for Jesus and for us all is a moment when the sword and scabbard are torn apart from each other. They're separated, but yet they're still united in the hands of the warrior who carries them. Friends, that's what it will be like for all of us who are united to Christ through faith. If you have put your trust in Jesus, you are united to him, body and soul. So while upon your death, your body and soul will be torn apart, one in the grave and the other in the heavens, yet they will remain united to each other through the hands of Christ who holds them both. It's a joy, it's a comfort to know these things. To know what the confession of faith teaches. It says that upon our death, our souls immediately return to God. That we are received into the highest heavens. That we behold the face of God in light and glory. That word immediately carries so much comfort for a believer and for their family at the time of death. To know that there's not one moment, not one millisecond, when our souls are separated from Christ. That's an amazing, glorious reality. We can face death with certainty, knowing that for the Christian, death is not the end. It is not torture and torment. Death is glorious. Passing into the highest heavens. Beholding the face of God in light and glory. For those who are in Jesus Christ, death is not a full stop. Death is merely a comma. But what we've said so far means that While for a Christian, death is glorious, it's not even the greatest glory. That will come in a day in the future, on the last day, when through Christ, this is what the Westminster Confession goes on to teach, the dead shall be raised up with the self-same bodies and none other, although with different qualities, which shall be united again to their souls forever. Do you see the glory, the joy, the hope there is for those who are in Christ? Our bodies and souls will be separated at death, but because Christ has them both in his hands, they will be united again on that last day. And they will remain united forever. The everlasting time of eternity will not be our souls floating about among the clouds, 
but we will stand in our flesh in the new heavens and the new earth in the full presence and glory of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God who was slain, who has redeemed us by his blood. And we will sing with these same lips and these same tongues, worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honour and glory and blessing. Friends, because Jesus was dead on Saturday, we have strength for today and we have bright hope for tomorrow. If you are in Christ, you do not need to fear death. He has died in your place and that means you will not taste death not even for one millisecond. The proof, the certainty for this is that on Sunday, he was alive. Jesus did not remain dead. The sword was placed back in the scabbard. He rose from the grave to bring new life to this world. This has something to teach us about both our living and are dying. Think about what it means for our death. The women went to the grave and they expected to find a lifeless corpse. They intended to anoint it with spices. And while they were discussing who would roll away the stone for for them, they they looked up to see and the stone had already been rolled away. A a young man clothed in a long white robe was sitting there and, and he spoke to them. He said, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go. Tell his disciples and Peter that he's going before you into Galilee. There you will see him. Friends, Jesus is not in the tomb. He has risen. These women are evidence to us today to show us that death will not have victory. The resurrection is proof that death has once and for all been defeated. Jesus is the first one to rise from the dead. But everyone who trusts in him is united to him by faith. And so he will pull us through. Jesus is the needle and we are the thread. United to him, he pulls us through the shroud of death and out the other side into everlasting life. For those who are in Christ Jesus, there is no sting. There is no victory for death. United to Jesus, we go where he goes. We have what he has and we are what he is. Through Christ, our eternal life is safe and secure. Our home is in heaven. We have the victory. And we are children of the living God. Christ is risen. And therefore, so are we. We should not fear death. Because on the other side is life in Jesus. Friends, If I ever have the privilege of preaching at your funeral service, I hope that I can proclaim this truth. 
I hope I can comfort your family to know what and where you are in Jesus. If you have not put your trust in him, please do not wait another moment. This is too important. None of us knows what is round the corner. Come to Jesus now. Repent of your sin. Put your faith in him. He is waiting. He is waiting to receive you into the family of God. It's the American pastor and theologian D.L. Moody who once said, Someday you will read in the papers that D.L. Moody of East Northfield is dead. Don't believe a word of it. At that moment, I shall be more alive than I am now. I shall have gone up higher. That is all. Jesus was dead on Saturday. On Sunday, he was alive. That has so much to teach us about our death. But it also has something to teach us about our life. About our lives here and now. The way that we spend this day and every day this week should be based on the fact that Jesus was alive on the Sunday. Again, the timings in our passage are important. If it were not for this taking place on a Sunday, well, we wouldn't be here today. This is the Lord's Day because Jesus rose from the dead on a Sunday. This is a clear pointer that Jesus' resurrection is the beginning of a new creation. Remember that in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it, the first creation. So in our passage, let's slow down. Let's read the start of verses 1 and verse 2 again. Verse 1. Now when the Sabbath was past. Verse 2. Very early in the morning on the first day of the week. And so the Sabbath has passed. This is not only a new day. It's a whole new week. In fact... It's a whole new creation. Christ slept through the Sabbath to rise from the grave on the first day of a new week. And in doing so, he altered the course of history forever. The people of God no longer hold to Sabbath on a Saturday. We hold Sabbath on the Lord's Day. The first day of the week, a Sunday. Christ brings new creation into being by rising on the first day of a new week. So the people of God no longer strive through the week to enter into Sabbath rest. It's not what the Old Testament teaches, that we strive, we work and work and work, and then we can rest at the end of the week. But not for Christians. We now live and work out of Sabbath rest. We start With rest, that's how our week begins. As Christians, we live lives of love for God and neighbour on the basis that we are fully justified in Christ. 
That means we're not trying to earn our salvation based on our good works. We are fully and completely justified in Jesus. Our sin has been forgiven. We've been set free from the guilt and grime of sin. And so we're able to live lives that honour our Lord in humble service. Christian life begins from justification. It begins with rest. Resting from that, that striving to justify our own existence through how much money we make, how many friends we have, whether that's in person or online. What car we drive. Or, or any of those other markers that the world lays down for us. We don't have to do those things. But it also, our, our week also begins with resting from having to earn our righteousness. We don't have to earn our righteousness before God with our good works. I can't tell you how, how many people there are who think that if there is a God then he won't punish them on the last day because they have tried to be good. Do you know anybody like that? I'm sure you do. But that wouldn't stand up in a court of law, would it, on earth? It will not stand up in the final judgment. You couldn't go before a judge guilty of murder and say, but look how much money I gave to charity. It doesn't work like that. You would still be found guilty. Our good deeds cannot outweigh our bad deeds, no matter how many we do. But having Sabbath on the first day of the week reminds us at the start of every week that we are justified through faith alone in Christ alone. And that is where we start. That is where we live as we go from here this week to live for God, to love our neighbour. We go in the freedom only the grace of God gives us. The truth of this passage is that Jesus was dead on Saturday and on Sunday he was alive. This changes everything in the world. But I don't want to leave without saying this. Mark leaves us with a challenge. The world is transformed by Jesus. It's been turned upside down by his death and resurrection. Because of Christ, there is hope for the future, even in the face of death. But think about the challenge that's left in verse 8 of chapter 16. The angel says to the women, go and tell people. And what do they do? They flee in fear and amazement. And they say nothing to anyone because they're afraid. Isn't that a challenge to us? What are we going to do? What are we going to do with this Jesus that, that Mark has taught us about through this whole gospel? He's been demonstrated to be the son of God who has authority over all things. He is clearly the son of man who did not come to serve, sorry, did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. The boys and girls were learning that verse this week. They know it better than I do. Jesus has died and risen again, making a way for us to face death with hope. But that requires that we follow him. We don't run away and be afraid. We, we don't say nothing to anybody. We follow Jesus. 
Because if he has died and and risen, we too can die and rise again. If we are united to Christ. So let me leave you with the challenge that Mark wants to leave you with. From the lips of Jesus himself, chapter 8. What does Jesus say? Whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Whoever desires to see if his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. What would it profit a man if he gave the whole world and loses his own soul? What will a man give in exchange for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him the Son of Man also will be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. And then he said to them, Assuredly, I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death. Till they see the kingdom of God present with power. The Christian faith leads us in a life towards death, which we will not even taste. It's my prayer for all of you. What Paul prayed for himself in Philippians chapter 3. My prayer is that you will know Christ that you will know the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, if by any means, by any means whatsoever, we may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Let me pray for us.